Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spider. So this one's obviously a day late yesterday. We had a very busy, busy weekend, and I probably should have thought ahead and recorded the podcast during the weekday, but I had a million other things going, and I didn't think about it. But we had my grandson's birthday party here yesterday, a lot of folks over, and the last of the folks didn't leave till later. And quite frankly, I was exhausted from chit-chatting and all the socialization that I just couldn't think of locking myself up in the tarantula room to do the podcast. Plus, when I went up here to do some work after everybody left, I like to check everybody. It was about 85 degrees in here. It was hot, and it was hot outside. So, unfortunately, I did give thought to doing it. I know a lot of folks, Monday morning, they look forward to it. And believe me, I appreciate that. And so I did give some thought to getting it done in time, but then I'm like, you know what, why don't I just relax for the rest of the evening, get it done early Monday morning, get it up. So hopefully that works out for everybody, but it was it was a good party, we had a good time, and now it's time to get back to work. So to kick this one off, we're going to be talking a bit today about, well, I, I kind of titled this one ahead of time. I think I've mentioned before, one of the most difficult parts of doing these podcasts is coming up with catchy titles that also kind of tell what the podcast is about. And so we're calling this one Patience is the Virtue. And I think with the hobby, one of the things I've been seeing, I got a lot of emails this week, some comments on the videos and such that, and I don't want this to seem like, I want to make this very, very, very clear because I'm going to lump myself in with folks that we're talking about here. We have we struggle sometimes in the hobby to recognize that this is a hobby that demands patience. And I think the funny thing about the transfer hobby is, I've somehow managed to go like well we we're nearing on like a decade of doing you know videos and podcasts and the website obviously and helping people get these guys set up and I love when people come back after you know a few years and like you know what this really isn't that difficult it's not and I've said that many times and if any at the end of the day if I walk away from this if any message I want people to get or what I'd love to hear from people go you know what he exposed me to, he, he showed me that this is not a very difficult hobby. I mean, if you think about it, there's only so many ways to set spiders up. I mean, sure, we can all use different enclosures. We can use glass. We can use acrylic. We can use, it comes down to there's different, there's basic types of enclosures. We're setting up a fossorial. We need something deep with ventilation up top so that we can fill it with substrate. We're doing an arboreal. Again, has to be deeper, you know, more height than floor space, but that doesn't mean you can't give them some floor space, but you want some height on it. And you want to be able to have that ventilation again or terrestrial where you're just going to use, you know, three or four inches of substrate. You want to shower. It's, it, it's not that difficult. And then as far as substrate is concerned, we're going to give them moist or we're going to give them dry or we're going to overflow water, just keep a corner moist. It's not that difficult. So I think that's the part that a lot of people realize rather quickly that, hey, this isn't that bad, but the part that we struggle with are the parts that require patience. And I think that's because, you know, in today's society, we live in a society where everything's instant gratification. Like back in the day, if I wanted to put, you know, news out to somebody that I was really excited about, I had to pick up the phone and call a couple people or meet with them in person. And nowadays you throw something online and you put it on Facebook or you put it on Instagram and you have all these people immediately helping you out or telling you things. You can ask questions now. I mean, think about it. In the day, we were talking about the other day, we were watching some show and somebody was selling encyclopedias. And I'm like, man, remember when they used to go door to door selling encyclopedias? I remember I begged my mom. I wanted the encyclopedia so bad. And they're obsolete now because now we just hop on the internet and everything's at our fingertips. We all carry little computers in our pockets. Essentially, I can whip out my cell phone and have information in a snap of a finger. It's amazing. But I think because of that, 
we've gotten spoiled that everything needs to happen now and quickly. So I think when folks get into a hobby like tarantula keeping, tarantulas, it's, it's a slow hobby, for lack of a better term. I've had other ones where, you you know, other animals you're doing, you're doing a lot more hands-on with, uh, you know, exotic fish or tropical fish. There's a lot more, I think, getting, you know, the aquarium set up, maintaining, monitoring, feeding more often. Snakes, you know, again, something that there's a lot more activity. I think Tarantulas are amazing and an easy pet because they're so low maintenance and so easy. But I think what happens is it sets us up in a situation where we start getting bored with waiting for things to happen. And we start getting impatient when it comes to certain events we expect to happen or even just acquiring them. So what I wanted to do is take a look today and hopefully this will be something, you know, it's it, as I'm going through it, I'm like, yeah, I've been guilty of all of these. For newer folks, again, I hope you'll recognize that this is something to prepare for when you get into it and something I think recognizing ahead of time that these things can happen helps. I know one in particular I'm staring at right now in my notes, it got me early on and I was struggling to show patience. So I think what I'm hoping is people that have been in the hobby for a while, it's a little, again, that game where you check out, yeah, oh, I remember that. Oh, yeah. Hey, and I think some of us still do this. I, I Bottom line, I think a lot of us, well, we struggle with this all the way through. It doesn't get any better. But this is going to be patience is the virtue. Some situations that require patience in the hobby. Some situations where sometimes the best thing to do is just sit back, relax, and wait it out. So the first topic we're going to talk about, the first spot where patience gets tested for a keeper, and this is if this were a top 10 list, which it is absolutely not, I'm just putting ones out there that I've noticed and that I've found myself that I struggle with sometimes, but if it were a top 10 list, this would probably easily be number one. It also contains another one we're going to kind of group in with it, and we're talking about pre-mole. Pre-molts, the period where you get your spider, and I can remember this very vividly. I got two slings uh, several years ago, and I was all excited to raise these things up. So I was feeding them probably more often than I should. I was feeding them probably every other day or so because it's just you get a new pet. You love watching it. You want to see it eat because if it's eating, it means it's a good sign that it's settled in. And remember, I came from keeping snakes where you always want to make sure your snakes ate. And so you start feeding them. They're eating, they're eating, they're eating. And then all of a sudden they stop eating. And they're like, oh, what's going on? Why is it stopping eating? And obviously what most of us do our research ahead of time, we read about pre-molt, we hear the signs of it. I've often used to put in my old videos like this species will eat until it goes into pre-molt. Just a heads up. This is going to happen. It's going to eat, it's going to eat, it's going to eat, and that's going to stop eating. And that's totally natural because what happens is in pre-molt, the spider gets what it needs it stores up what it needs to start that molt process and it doesn't need to eat anymore so then it's in the pre-molt process where it's getting everything ready and they can take some time off from eating until after they molt and this one again tends to freak people out because a we're not used to keeping pets that suddenly don't need to be fed anymore it's it's a foreign concept for anybody that's kept you know the the vertebrate pets the dogs the cats the hamsters the, the ferrets your dog doesn't you know i don't go down there my dogs eat 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 and all of a sudden well no oh, they're not eating honey i guess Yes, they're going to be uh, shedding some hair, so we're going to we're going to wait it out. It doesn't happen. So it's a very foreign concept to get, even when you read about it. And again, when you're keeping a pet, what are the big responsibilities as far as keeping pets? You have to keep the pets clean. You have to keep their environment clean. You have to keep them fed. You have to keep them watered. And suddenly, well, we don't do a lot of watering with them. They should have water dishes, but it's you know not something we need to go nuts with. Feeding's the big thing. So that's taken off the table. And now what do we do? We fixate on it. We When's this thing going to molt? What's going on? Why isn't it molting? How long is it going to take? One of the most 
uh, common questions I receive is somebody will go, I have this in this species. It just went into pre-malt. How long is it going to take? And I think people get frustrated with me sometimes because I don't have an answer because it's like, all right, A, what was the feeding schedule? B, what are your temperatures? C, what species is it? Uh, D, how how large is it? Is it a sling? Is it a juvenile? There's so many factors. And even then, I could have a three-inch Lazyodora parahibana. This person could have a three-inch Lazyodora parahibana, and we could get totally different schedules as far as when ours molt. They could go into pre-molt the exact same day. One could molt, one might not. It just doesn't work that way. So people get very frustrated sometimes with me because I can't tell them, oh, yeah, it's going to be literally five days from now. You should be set. I usually give them a ballpark. I fall back on what I've experienced with my keeping and try to help them out that way. Like, all right, well, mine did this, but my temperatures were a little lower back then. So that's something that we need to kind of relax about and enjoy. I think when people ask me, well, what do you do while you're waiting for it? It's weird. I think for the majority of us, we buy more spiders. I think that's why folks start to end up with collections. Even people that are like, all right, I'm just going to get two slings or I'm going to get one sling. And then they realize there's not a lot going on a lot of times with the slings, especially when they're going through pre-molt and whatnot. So they pick up something else. So that allows like right now, I can tell you I have yesterday I was going around doing some feeding. I counted five different ones that are in pre-molt, but I have over 200. Now, I'm not telling people to do this, but I have over 200 other spiders that are requiring feeding, watering, all that stuff to occupy me, to preoccupy me so I don't fixate on. So I think with the, it's always important to understand that with pre-molt periods, it always varies. You can't just nail down a bad people will come on and be like, oh, it takes this long. Well, it took that long for yours. It doesn't, it's again, temperatures are a big part of it. Feeding schedule. I like to point out with Formictopus, I fell into this trap many times. Formictopus, very fast-growing species early on. I've had slings hit four and a half, five inches, four and a half inches, we'll say, in the first year, which is excellent growth. They go through this one molt in particular where they're little brown slings, and suddenly they're tarantulas. They're big, furry tarantulas. They change colors. They get all the hairs. It's amazing. And I think after that one, people get so excited, and I know I did, to see how how big are these guys going to get? How fast are they going to grow that we pump them full of food? So I can remember with my first two Formictibus cancerities I bought around the same time, same size slings. They both got to that stage for about four and a half inches. Big girls. I think they might have molted one more time. And I'm like, oh, this is great. And so I'm pumping the food to them, pumping the food to them. They both stopped eating and didn't molt for like, I believe it was one of them was well over a year. And the other one right around the year mark, it took them a long time. I was used to these guys molting like clockwork. And suddenly it's like, "Uh Oh, I broke my spiders. And so that can happen with many species. I've seen it happen with, you know, a fauna pelma, gramostola, brachypelma. Those are ones that a lot of people get as their first spiders. And because they're on all the beginner species list. And when they get them again, like most people do, we overfeed them at first or we just feed them, you know, a very aggressive schedule. And then next thing you know it, there I'm getting emails. I bought it in a Fauna Pelma Calcotas. It ate great for the first three weeks. I fed it every day and now it hasn't eaten in two months. What am I going to do? And I have to tell them, well, the good news is you fed it so much that it's in pre-mold. The bad news is you could be waiting for a while because that was another one of those species that they glow, grow at a glacial pace. And so if you fatten them all up and they don't need to eat for a while, that pre-mold's going to be extra long. You're going to be staring at a spider that is quote-unquote fasting for quite some time, which are not really fast. It's not like they're Yes, they're not eating, they're fasting, but it's not, uh, it's it's part of the natural process is because they have taken in all they need. So that's something the patients in terms of 
pre-molts. That's something you just have to kind of play by ear. The thing is, you start getting freaked out. It's always something you can go on the boards and throw it out there. Hey, my species is, you know, such and such. Here is what I've been feeding it. What can I expect for a pre-molt? What have you guys had? And sometimes people can chime in. Well, I had one that did this. I had one that did that. And sometimes you have people chime in like, yeah, I had that species. It took six months. It took eight months. You know, buckle up. It's going to be a while. Or maybe it molts rather quickly. But I think that's one where people freak out. And again, the patience part, it's not like they can do anything about it. And when I tell people, it's like, well, what do I do? Like nothing. Make sure it has access to water. Make sure it has a moist corner or moist substrate if it's a species that requires some moisture. And then wait it out and enjoy it when it actually molts. It'll be fantastic. Try to get some pictures of it afterwards. You know, there's nothing you can do to force the issue. It's going to happen when it happens. It's a natural process. Nature will determine when your spider molts. So definitely one of the ones that trips people up is the pre-molt. And we're going to put with that one because this one kind of falls in line with it. The burrowing. People freak out when their spiders burrow. And I think what ends up happening is they burrow. They go, oh, it burrowed. It's covered up. It's burrowed. And they start thinking, how can it breathe? How can it get water? It's not going to get food. Not recognizing that once again, most of the time when this happens, and I'll touch upon when it's you know something you got to be concerned with in a moment, but most of the time when it happens, 100% natural. A lot of my spiders will close up their burrows when they've had enough to eat. That's the sign of pre... Now, you figure, think of it this way. You're a spider, you're a spiderling. You're out in the wild. You're having to venture out of the, you know, the leaf litter you're hiding beneath, the tree roots, the foliage. You're having to go out and try to find prey, which exposes you to predation. So once you're filled up and you don't need to eat anymore and their little internal body chemistry says, all right, we're done, the best thing they can do is go hide so nothing gets them. In the, They don't have to risk their being out there anymore. They don't have to be out in the open where they can be preyed upon. They can go hide. So that's why they'll go and burrow. They'll close up their burrow. Sometimes they close it up with webbing. I like when they close it up with webbing because you can still kind of sometimes shine a flashlight to the spiders in there and okay. But that's their way of putting up the do not disturb sign. Sometimes they, they fill it up with dirt. They can breathe. They're fine. They don't need as much oxygen as we need. They're perfectly fine. If As far as drinking, sometimes you'll catch them out getting a drink. Sometimes they'll come out. I've had ones that seal it up. They come out during the night, grab a drink, go back, seal it up. But that normally means you got to leave them alone. You can't mess with them. I've shared the story many, many times. The first spider I burrow was a uh, sling Lazidora parahibana. I had read about it. I had heard they burrow. But then when it happened, immediately I got stressed. What if it collapses? What? So let's get that out of the way. What if it collapses? It's not going to collapse. Unless you're using heavy, heavy objects. And I have heard of one situation where somebody put in a really nice rock in the enclosure because it looked pretty. The spider burrowed underneath the rock. It gave way. The rock fell on the spider. They didn't see the spider for a while and dug it out and realized the spider got squashed by the rock. So that's the only, if you've got, I would not use heavy ornaments or anything heavy that they could dig under. It could collapse on them. But besides that, even if the their burrows collapse a little bit, they dig their way out, they reinforce the burrows with webbing. They, if you ever watch a spider work its burrow, it's digging, it's pulling dirt out, and then it goes around with its little butt, and it basically lays webbing around to hold everything together. So they reinforce it. So don't worry about it collapsing on them. Moisture-wise, that's when you keep a moist corner. They can drink out of this. They can filter water out of the substrate with their mouth parts. 
So if they're underground and they need a drink and those lower levels are moist, they can get moisture there. Usually they've done their drinking before they go down below. That's why we mentioned this in an earlier podcast. Always important to make sure they have access to water so that it's not one of those, oh, God, it's in pre-malt. Now I've got to get it water. It might be too late at that point. You want to make sure it has water before it goes into it. But there's not much you can do at that point, and you have to just kind of wait it out. And I get it because we've all been there where you get a spider, you're feeding it, and boom, you're staring at a pot full of dirt or an enclosure full of dirt and it's not very exciting it's not very rewarding and it's worrisome because we can't help but think oh what if that was me buried in a den in a pot of dirt it, it messes you up so when they do that the best thing you can do 99% of the time is to just wait it out they will eventually usually the good ones will open up the burrow and they'll reward you by tossing out their molt. So you'll come in, the burrow will be open, the molt will be sitting in usually, in, for me at least, in a water dish or right around the water dish or in a corner of the enclosure. And that's their way of telling you, I'm done molting, let's get some food up here. And that's the point where it's like, all right, it's okay to feed them again. We'll talk about that in a moment. But some of them won't throw it out. They'll just open the burrow. Now, what about that 1%? It's probably fewer, I'd say it's honestly fewer than 1%, but it is something that I found in keeping over the last many years that it does happen sometimes. And I think we don't talk about it a lot because we don't want everybody running around digging up their spiders. That's the last thing we want. I get usually one of those a month. Tom, my spider buried itself. It's been three weeks. Should I dig it up? I'm scared. I think it's dead. And it's usually nine, you know, most of the time my answer is no, especially when they tell me how long it's been buried for. But there have been situations and I've witnessed them in my own collection and with a few different species, most notably P. muticus, where the spiders would burrow way down low. I'd put prey up the top. There was no interest. They wouldn't open their burrow. They would molt. You'd see them molt. You'd say, okay, great. They'll be ready to eat. And then they still don't service. This happened. This exact scenario happened with me, believe it or not, with a Gramostola pulchra that I had in the little, it was a cylindrical acrylic cylindrical container about the size of a 16-ounce deli cup, and my had burrowed all the way down to the bottom. It molted. It was, I waited, I was waiting, 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 waiting. Finally, it was like a month and a half after, and this was a smaller sling, and it was looking skinny as heck and hadn't resurfaced. Another time, I've referred to this one before with P. muticus is one where I think we sometimes have this problem where I had slings, you know, they were eating, they burrowed all the way down to the bottom of 32-ounce deli cups because back then you're like, oh, the more dirt you can give them the best because they'll dig, you know, nine feet in the wild. And they'd go all the way down the bottom, they'd fill up the top, and they'd just sit there, and they wouldn't eat. And I'd had ones die because they didn't eat. It was, it was horrible. So it can happen, and usually what I tell people is, A, you got to wait it out a bit. You don't want to immediately jump to, oh gosh, it's been a week, it hasn't, it hasn't eaten yet. That's And this is going to roll right into, because I want to put these, these all kind of got to be grouped together just for it to make sense. When to feed spiders after a molt. That's something that freaks people out. So we've established, and that's something we get impatient about because our spiders have molted. We want to feed them again. I still feel this way. When something molts, I immediately want to get, I can't wait to get that first meal in it. A, it shows you that it's some, it's, it has its sucking stomach. It didn't have any problems during molts. You know, most likely it's eating. B, you just, it's, it's a tough process for them. You want them to have something to consume, get some nutrients in there, start building up, back up again, putting on some size. So everybody wants to do it, but the, the struggle is when do we do it? Normally, like I said earlier, when it buries itself, I love when they bury themselves and then they open it back up and throw out their molt. That's usually the point where they're eating again. If it's a terrestrial species, it all depends on the size and the, the species of the spider, how old it is. So slings, usually the rule of thumb slings, you wait a week. 
I've waited less than a week before and not had problems, but a week is normally the magic spot with slings where you know they've definitely hardened up by that. The thing is, the larger they get, the longer that period becomes. So you're talking, you know, your little half-inch spider, yeah, a week or so. They get to be about two inches, you may be waiting two or three weeks. They get to be, you know, an adult, that's sometimes, I've had uh, a theraphosis sturmy. Took two months to eat after his his molt. He molted. He had burrowed. He molted. I waited, waited, waited. I was starting to get nervous. He came out, still wasn't eating food. And then finally one day I dropped a roach. It was almost, it wasn't quite two months, but it was close to two months after he molted. Dropped in something he ate. Like, oh, thank gosh. It can take a while, depending on the size of spiders. So that always needs to be taken into account because I know some people will hear online, oh, they eat like a, a week after they molt. No, no, no. That's for smaller ones. Bigger ones, it can be a while. So you have to be ready for that. But then, as we were talking about earlier, what happens when they don't surface? That's where if you know they molted, and say it's a an adult spider. Well, it doesn't usually happen with adults because I don't think our containers, our enclosures are usually big enough to permit this. Because I do think it's something to do with them digging down deep and not surfacing and hearing the pitter-patter of the prey items up there. But with an adult, you're going to want to wait at least three or four weeks before you do anything. Then if you decide, hey, I'm really freaking out. I want to see if this one's ready to eat. What you want to do is carefully open up the burrow. So you want to be very, the best way to do it, if the substrate is not moist, moisten it up first right around the burrow. Carefully pour some water in there, moisten up that area because that allows you to pack it up so it doesn't collapse in on itself. If you have dry substrate and you try this, you can sometimes collapse the burrow in on itself. That's not what you want to do. You want to open it up and open it up so the spider can see that it's open because what's going to happen is one or two things. First, what we're going to do, we're going to open it up. We're going to take a pre-killed item. We're not going to throw things down the hole. We're going to take a pre-killed cricket roach. We're going to sit it right at the top of that burrow. And then best time to do this at night before bed, before you turn off the lights, because this is when the spider is probably going to be most active and going out hunting and it's going to want to expose it and feel like it can expose itself because the lights are out. Turn off the lights. If you come back the next morning, one or two things are going to happen. One, the spider is going to have, have come out, eaten the prey item, and then you know it's eating again. And then you're good to go. Then you can start feeding again. A lot of times they won't bother closing up their burrow at that point. The other thing that may happen is a spider may come out and reclose up its burrow and not touch the prey item. Usually that's a sign that it is not ready to eat yet, so you got to wait a little while. And I've had really good results when I've done this with the spiders actually coming up and eating, which tells me they are ready to go. I do not open up burrows very often at all. I want to make that very clear because the last thing I want people doing is walking away. Remember, the whole main topic of this podcast is patience. I want people to show an abundance of patience when it comes to this. But when you get to the point where it's been several weeks or you've got a sling, you know the sling molted. You can see the sling. A lot of times what happens is they molt in their burrows. We can see them and it's you can see it's old exoskeleton in there. It's been several weeks. That might be time to check things out. And again, moisten down. You can usually find right where the burrow entrance is. Moisten it down, open it up, leave a prey item, a, a pre-kill prey item up top. Wait to see if they eat. But as far as how much time it takes, again, just like the pre-molt period, it depends on the species. It depends on the spider. It depends on the size of the spider. There's no way to pinpoint you have a, I don't know, C kind of pubicins. It's going to be exactly two weeks and it'll be ready. You can't do it that way. One trick for the larger specimens, their fangs when they first molt are white. 
They look like milky and white, and as they harden up, they darken up. Through, they go like a deep red and finally black. Black fangs on a spider are hardened, spi- or hardened fangs. It means the spider's ready to eat. So if you have a species that you can see its fangs or it's hanging out on the side of the enclosure or whatnot, that's a good way. So I've had some instances where they molt, and I see them on the side of the enclosure. like, oh, those fangs are black, and then we can drop a prey at them, and you'll know them. So that helps sometimes with terrestrials. Sometimes would you, a, a good way to do it to not upset the spider, another trick, so you've got a terrestrial. It's sitting out, so any of my formictimus species, they sit right in the open. Sometimes I'm not sure when they're ready to eat. I will pre, I will stun or pre-kill the item beforehand. So for a roach, I will drop in a doobie and maybe crush its head so it wanders around, but it's not going to bother the spider really. Crickets, I will basically crush their heads and toss it right in front of the spider, see if it takes. Sometimes they jump right on it. Sometimes they kick it away or walk away from it. Then I know it's not taking anything. And then if I actually, if I leave something in with it, say I drop a prey item in, it doesn't immediately go for it. I don't have to worry about it harassing the spider. I just check later on and see if it's still in there. But yeah, it takes a little while for them to get eating after the fact. It's another thing that we all get impatient about, but it's something we have to show a little more patience with. A while back, I had somebody contact me because one of their tarantulas had molted. I do believe it was a GBB, and they'd thrown food in after the second day it molted. And they're like, yeah, I know you say wait a week, but it jumped right on the food. Well, it broke one of its fangs. It basically bent up one of its fangs because it was soft because it tried to eat with the soft fangs. The person realized afterwards it hadn't actually consumed the cricket. The cricket was still there, but it was just a mess. And the individual realized, yeah, I made a mistake. You got to be careful with that because some of them, most of them, I don't want to say smart enough, but they, they have the instinct to recognize I can't eat yet. But there are those species out there. The fangs are somewhat hardened and something preys nearby. They're hungry. They go for it. And that can lead to an injured or mangled or missing fang. So be careful there. So feeding after molt, definitely one of those periods that causes us stress, causes anxiety, causes us to be impatient. You just want to make sure, again, we're all going to have our moments, but it's all about the health of the spider, the well-being of the spider. So you don't want to do anything that could cause your spider stress or injure it. Uh, God forbid. I And I've actually heard cases of people dropping prey items in like right after the spider molted. They didn't get the memo that they got to harden up. And at least one of those, the person was horrified when they found the cricket chewing off the spider's leg. So definitely, I'm, I'm assuming anybody that's spending their time listening to me talk for an hour on the podcast or whatever it is, has some knowledge ahead of time, but you got to give them time to harden up before you give them their first meal. Now, the next one we're going to talk about that requires some patience, and I get these all the time. I'll give you an example. This is not a real one, but hey, Tom, I was in my local pet store, and they had an avicularia, avicularia. It was gorgeous. I took it home, and I bought a... 8 by 8 by 12 inch Exoterra Nano Tall. I set it up with a piece of cork bark. It's got a little branch and it hasn't settled in. It won't eat. It's all scrunched up in the corner. What do I do? And then my first question is always, well, how long has the spider been in that enclosure? And a lot of times I'll get a day, two days, three days. Not enough time for a spider to settle in. I think that's something where we really panic at times and we can do things that make the situation worse. I had one person very recently, they picked up a, it was a Brachypelma morii, I want to say. And they put it into an enclosure and the spider hadn't settled in yet and it was scrunched up in the stress pose in the corner. They thought it was a death curl and then they took it out and put it into a nice moist 
tarantula ICU, which is not something that species wants. And then next thing you know, they went, it's back to life and it's climbing the enclosure. It's trying to stay off the ground. Yeah, because they hate moisture. Just a nightmare situation. We need to recognize that when we put spiders, ideally, we all want our spiders to settle in more quickly. And there are some tips and tricks that you can use when you house your spiders to give yourself a better chance of the spider settling in quickly, but sometimes they don't spe- they just don't settle in very fast. And if a spider hasn't settled in, some species won't eat until they've settled in. So I think we have to recognize that, A, it can take weeks for spiders to finally settle in, either use their hides, start webbing for the species. I get that a lot. Uh, Tom, I have a GBB. I just dropped it in a, a container full of dirt. It's done no webbing and it's been a week. What, what's going on? Is this broken? Is there something wrong with my spider? Well, no, it probably hasn't settled in yet or you don't have anchor points. There are things we can do to make sure that they settle in more quickly. I think that's where we sometimes shoot ourselves in the foot. So I use the avicularia one because unfortunately, and I've been guilty of this. So you set up an avicularia enclosure, you throw in one piece of cork bark, you throw in maybe some plants, and you go, there you go, buddy. There are species that i found now that if they, I don't want to see a more crowded enclosure, but an enclosure with more spots to hide and get behind with more foliage, maybe extra hides, they tend to settle in more quickly. Then if you just drop them in, they usually go up to the highest corner, which is probably not optimal because a lot of people will use cages or enclosures that open from the top and they kind of hunker down up there, maybe do a little webbing in the corner. It's hard to see if they're getting prey. We're worried that they're not getting the prey. So a couple things you can do. A, provide extra cover. No matter what the species is, put extra plants in there. If you're doing uh, terrestrial species, I've been doing this in my videos and trying to show people that something I've changed as far as my husbandry. I've been trying to use more cork bark hides than just one. Back in the day, I'd set up an enclosure, one end, cork bark hide, maybe some moss around it, a little starter burrow, other end, water dish, boom, done. And then you just hope the spider adapts to that particular hide. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. I have found that if I put in more than one, it gives them more opportunities, more places that they can go through and kind of select what works for them. I almost picture it like a hermit crab going out and finding that shell or that thing it's going to use for its shell. And it, it's, it knows what it's looking for. Spiders, when we only give them one choice, that's it. One size fits all. Sometimes we give them burrows that are too big. They're not very spacious. I've always encouraged folks when setting up a burrow and starter burrow, throw a little moss in there. They'll go in, like leave an opening, but kind of line it with moss because what they will do is they'll go in and they will use that moss web around it. It'll make the space feel tighter. They'll feel more comfortable. Multiple, when you're doing arboreals, this is something I'm guilty of as well. Again, multiple cork bark. I use cork bark flats for a long time. I still use some cork bark flats for my arboreals, but I've been using more cork bark rounds because the rounds are like little burrows into themselves that the spiders can go right into. All things that will help your spider settle in more quickly. Are you rehousing a fossorial species? If so, a lot of folks out there will go, oh, they're fossorial. They'll dig their own burrows. Well, yes, eventually they'll get around to it. But until then, they're going to be stressed out because they're exposed and out in the open. Give them a starter burrow. Give them cork bark. Give them two starter burrows. Give them pieces of cork bark over the starter burrows. Again, so they can go into that area, web up a bit, feel safe as they start their excavation process. But those are all things that will help your spider settle in better and more quickly. Another thing I've been experimenting with lately is if I have a species that does a lot of webbing, I take some of the old webbing out. I put it into the new enclosure. I've seen signs that the spider will gravitate toward that webbing and start webbing up from them. So it kind of gives it, oh, here's some of my webbing. We'll keep this going. And they start webbing from there. I've heard from other folks that that helps. So there's something. The trick is, though, you get, you have to give them some time first. Don't just, when you set up their enclosure, it can take them a little while. Now, if a month goes by and your spider's still not like really getting into the enclosure and doesn't seem to be settling, then you might have to examine 
are the conditions right? I've had folks that have put spiders into enclosures. They tell me about them. I, how is it set up? They go, oh, I put moist substrate in, and it's not a moisture-dependent species. It's a species that abhors moisture. That could be a reason why it's not in there. If you put it in, it's not settling in, and you realize, like with a vicularia, I get a lot of these where they don't settle in quick because the enclosures are kind of spartan. I tell folks, carefully add another, go buy a nice fake plant add another fake plant in there, give it some more cover, see if that helps. Sometimes that helps. Um, add extra cork. I've gone in and add extra hides. Just be careful, obviously, when you're working around the spider, but those are all things you can do if month is a month has gone by, your spider hasn't settled in, and maybe it hasn't eaten. That's something that my thing is people will tell me, my spider looks like it's stressed, it's not settling, but it's eating fine. I don't worry. I wouldn't worry about that all that much. That means the spider at least is comfortable enough to do eating, which is what it needs. It's when they haven't, they're not settled in, they're not eating, they don't look particularly fat and you know ready to, to molt. That's when people freak out. And I think, again, we don't want to freak out about it, but we want to use our brains and try to look at the situation, see is there anything here that I can improve that will make this spider feel more comfortable in its new surroundings. But that's something that, again, requires some patience and something that I get a lot of folks that just jump the gun and immediately think, well, it's been two days, it hasn't settled in, what's the problem? It doesn't always work that way. It can take quite a while for a spider, even if it's one you just bought, purchased at a pet store, or ordered online, or if it's one you're rehousing, it can take a while for it to settle in. The next one we're going to talk about kind of falls in line and can be connected to the previous one with the spider not settling in. But one I get a lot is my spider is not eating. And again, that's back to what we talked about in the beginning, the fact that we expect our animals to eat. And we know, maybe we do our research, we recognize they don't need to eat nearly as much as a lot of the other creatures or animals that we've raised up, but they do need to eat. And when they go a long period of time without eating, that can be scary. So one thing we always want to make, I, I always ask when people email, they're like, hey, Tom, I got a blah, blah species. It hasn't eaten for me. And I will ask, when did you get it? And they'll be like, sometimes it's like, oh, I got it two weeks ago. Okay, well, maybe it hasn't settled in yet. Or is it looking fat? Is it looking chubby? Oh, yeah, it's looking very chubby. Well, if you got it from a pet store, I get a lot of folks to email that just picked them up from a pet store and they're doing their research after the fact. If you got it from a pet store, it's likely that they fed it constantly and it is completely, it's in pre-molt and doesn't need to eat. I've noticed with pet stores, you get a lot of pictures, sadly, of spiders in these barren enclosures surrounded by crickets. And they get to a point where they fill up very quickly and they don't need to eat anymore. So a lot of folks I talk to get things from the pet stores have ones that are already in pre-molt when they get them. So it's something you can't worry about yet. You got to just watch the spider. If the spider, my thing is, if the spider is fat in good shape, don't worry about it. If it's super thin, if it's after a molt, that's when I freak out a little bit. If I have one that molts, it's really thin, isn't eating, that I start to worry about. But brand new spider that you got, fat in good shape, don't worry about it. Same thing if you order them online. I think a lot of folks that ship, try not to ship them completely fat and pre-molt because that can be a risk. Obviously, if the spider A, molts while in transit or be a fat spider it's easier for its abdomen to get ruptured by accident if it's jostled around the male so usually they're a little bit thinner that usually comes down to the spiders just not having set uh, settled in yet because i've had folks that will email me it takes me a day or two to get back to them and before i can even get back to them they email me back oh it ate today it's fine so again, they uh, the nice thing about tarantulas that I found is I've had so few issues with them, any of them not eating. It's uh, if they're not the only spots I've found where I've run into issues are a like we talked about the aforementioned issue where they bury themselves too far down, they're not getting the prey. That's not so much the spiders not 
eating or not hungry. It's that it's down below. The thought process is that in the wild, some of these species will run into prey items as they burrow. If they burrow, they're going to find grubs. They're going to find there's species of crickets, worms, things that they can eat. So they don't come up because they're expecting food to come to them. That's not the same. That's something where you have to remedy the situation, figure out a way to get food to the spider. But as far as a situation where the spider just doesn't eat at all, I have had that happen, I think, once, sadly, rather recently with a Zenestis species white that just, it, she molted, she looked great after a molt, lively, looked good, went to try to feed her, wouldn't eat, wouldn't eat, wouldn't eat. I eventually pulled her molt aside to check to see if the sucking stomach had come out. They're supposed to molt their sucking stomachs. If a spider doesn't molt its sucking stomach, it is not able to eat, it's not able to drink, and it can be a death sentence for the spider. And unfortunately, I was not able to locate the sucking stomach in the molt, which meant that was the issue. She was very, very thin. She went for quite some time, unfortunately was not eating, and then ended up dying. It was awful. Awful. And I've never, it was one of those things that I always dread. I don't, a lot of folks will check when they get their molts. They'll check for the sucking stomach. I've never done that because it's so, it, it seems to be very rare to me, but that's a situation where you'd obviously be worried. What you do hope happens and what can happen is if the spider was fat enough when it molted, it molts, it can't eat or drink. Sometimes they'll have a quick, a fast molt. They'll molt again. The body will try to repair it. And apparently if they can survive that one, they get their sucking stomachs back, they'll molt out and then they'll be fine. And then there's been situations where the spiders continue to go on and eat and live a happy life. But that's the only situation I can think of where normally a sick spider or a spider that's missing its sucking stomach may not eat. Normally it comes down to one of three things, either they haven't settled in. They're too jacked up. They're not able to eat yet. They're in pre-molt, which means they're not going to eat because their body's already told them they've had enough, or they've molted and they're just not ready to eat yet. Those are the spots that usually when I get an email or a message about something not eating, that's what it is. The other ones, unfortunately, there's limited things we can do when the spider's not eating. If, it's lost, it's, if it hasn't lost, shed its sucking stomach, not good. If a spider's sick, obviously they can get sick. There's been situations where a spider seems good one minute. Not good the next. I've had older spiders that will attack prey and not eat it. They'll just leave a giant bolus. It's just the spider all, cr the uh, prey, excuse me, all crushed up and webbed up. They don't seem to eat it. That happens with that usually with older spiders. But normally we just, it's one of those deals you have to wait it out, be a little more patient, wait till your spider settles in, wait till your spider molts, wait till a little while after your spider molts, and they'll start eating again just fine. So the next one we're going to talk about is breeding. I do not have a ton of experience with breeding. I want to make it very, very clear. There is going to be a time where I'm probably going to lay off of the Tom's Big Spider stuff for a little while and do more breeding. It's just, it's very time consuming. And this is where the patience part comes in. Because I think, unfortunately, some folks have it in their heads. And I get folks to email all the time asking about this. I drop my spider in. It's been a half hour. Nothing's happened. What do I do? It can take, breeding some of these species can take forever. I know I've spoken to folks that have bred C-Kindiopubicins. We're talking about hours. The mating rituals between the males and females can take forever. Even I mated the P. regius years ago, the jumping spider, regal jumping spider. It was an almost an hour and a half of those two. It was, it was embarrassing, honestly, at one point. It was getting weird. But certain species, it takes a while. I've done, when I did Hapaloba species, Columbia large, Every time I mated them or paired them, basically what would happen is the male would entice the female on a little walkabout. So it wasn't like, I think people expect with the mating, you're going to drop the male in, 
The male's going to walk up to the female. The female's going to go, hey, what's up? They're going to do their thing, and they're going to be done. And that's normally not how it happens. Usually there's a process to it. It takes time. And people get impatient. I see people doing things like taking the male, cupping it. And I, this is the worst one I ever saw. The guy sent me a video where he wasn't getting a lot of reaction from the male and female. So he took the male, put it in a cup, and put the cup right over the, the female's burrow. So you can imagine where this went. The female jumped out. There was a scramble. She grabbed it, killed it, and pulled it in. Like, you've got to be kidding me. Or the male is taking its time. It's doing its little pitter-patter with its pedipalps, trying to get the female interested. The female's, the female's doing it. And then somebody will go and poke it with a paintbrush to try to get it. Come on, get over there to the female. Let's go. Let's get it done. You can't do that. It takes time and patience. That's one of the reasons I haven't done a lot of breeding is because I know it involves me sitting there waiting. I do try to monitor and protect my males if possible, so it means hovering right over, getting ready to go. I did formictibus erratus, which I'm still hoping it, it took. I bred both females. It took one of them. It was about an hour of them going, you know, the male getting ready for it. It, it, coming in, getting a little closer, tapping, female backing away, it can take a while. So that's another spot where if you're going to do breeding, be prepared to set some time aside and let things go at their own pace. You can't force it. You can't rush it. With certain species, you have to prepare ahead of time. With some, you have to have like, a they need a moist period, a rainy period. So you have to simulate that by keeping things really moist for a while. Other ones need it warmed up. You have to do your research. You have to be patient. So I throw that one out there again. Don't do a lot of breeding on my end, but I do recognize that it can take time and you can't force it. When you force it, usually what you end up with is a dead male and no babies. So if you're serious about breeding, do your research. I know it can be tough to find because people tend to guard it. There's, I've heard a lot of complaints. I've had people accuse me, like, why won't you share all your breeding information? I've shared every, I've only done a few of them and I've shared everything, like exactly what I did. I have no problem doing that. But I know some people want to guard it a little bit because obviously babies means money and they want to make sure that they are able to continue to produce and maybe they don't want other people cutting into that. I don't know. But do your research and expect it's not something you're going to sit there, come home from work. Work, take the mail, drop it in, boom, five minutes later, take it out. It usually doesn't happen that way. I've had it happen once where it was a male, it was M. Balfoury, went right up to the female, tapped away, tapped away, boom, it was like a couple minutes and they were done, but it also didn't take. So there you go. So breeding, another thing, have patience with it. Don't just, don't just try to jump. I mean, uh, okay, how do I put this? If you're interested in breeding, by all means, breed. But don't be one of those ones that immediately gets your first players and goes, I can't wait to breed and make money off this. Take your time. Learn the hobby. That's, that would be one thing. A lot of people want to rush into stuff, and they, especially with the hobbies concerned. And I've had many folks that will contact me. I got my first species. I'm already looking for males and females. I'm going to start breeding. I'm going to open up my own business. Enjoy the hobby first. Like a lot of the folks to get into breeding and producing, it's because they've spent years raising them. They love them. They've, you know, they know all the husbandry stuff. They know how to work with them. And now they want the next level of it. There's no rush to hop right into the breeding. It's, you're not going to get rich quick off it. I want to make that very clear. It's, I've expressed before and we did, I believe a while back, a podcast on just some tips if you want to breed. And it, it, depending on the species, like if you're doing, for example, somebody just approached me, they want to breed Lazy Adora Para Hibana. That's great. I've heard it's a good one to start with. I never paired mine personally because you can have 2,000 slings and there are a lot of them out there in the hobby. So guess what? You're not going to be able to unload them all, which would be great if you're able to wholesale them all. You're not going to get a lot for them because there's so many of them out there. So that's something to take into consideration. So if you are interested in breeding, feel free to listen to my podcast on that. I do go into some of the stuff, some of the things you need to think about, but take your time getting into it and recognize when you're going to do breeding, you're going to need to set time aside for it.
Now, the next one, as luck would have it, somebody emailed me complaining about bad service they got from a dealer because they paid for overnight shipping and it was on a Monday and Tuesday their spider didn't arrive. <laughs> Here we go. This is that culture of instant gratification we have now, especially with like Amazon and Amazon Prime and you can get stuff in two days. Sometimes you can get it in one day. We're so used to ordering something online and having it the next day that we get spoiled by it. And we don't consider the fact that I'm not ordering a, I don't know, a record off of Amazon or a dress for a wedding or shoes or whatever other inanimate object you want to throw in there. I'm ordering a living animal. So we have to understand that when you pay for overnight shipping with shipping tarantulas, that does not mean your spider is going out the next day. Not at all. You have to read the conditions for the vendor you're buying from they will tell you a lot of folks it's like if you order on a saturday your order will go out on monday obviously they're not shipping on sunday some will say if you order anywhere from monday tuesday your order will go out that week otherwise it's going to come out next week that's to ensure the safety of the animal they're shipping animals they have to pack them up they maybe have to use ice packs on the hot days. They may have to use warm packs on the hot packs on the cold days. They have to look at the temperatures. There's a lot that goes into safely shipping spiders so they don't die in transit. So please recognize just a little tip because it's one of the things that people get very impatient about. If you're paying for overnight shipping, that all that means is when the spider ships, when you guys hash out where it's going to, is it going to a FedEx, is it going to your house, all the details, you agree to it, then the spider, once it ships, will be there the next day. Otherwise, don't expect to place an order and have the spider there next morning. It doesn't work that way. As this whole podcast is about having patience, I think the part of it is folks are impatient. They see a spider, they want it, they hop online, they throw in their credit card information, they place the order, and they expect it right there. Read those conditions. Those are important. Anyway, you should be reading your lag. You should be reading what days they ship on, when they ship, when. If you order on a Tuesday, when they ship, a lot of places won't ship after Wednesday. It's not because they're trying to be jerks. It's because if they ship on Thursday and your package gets lost in the mail, it could be the whole weekend that it's out stuck somewhere and you can end up with dead spiders. It's all about the safety of the spider. So what I tell people is if you don't have the patience to wait for your spider, don't bother joining the hobby because a lot of it involves being patient. And if you're freaking out because your thing didn't ship, because you didn't read the instructions on when it's going to ship, that's on you, not the dealer, not anybody else. So uh, hopefully that hasn't happened with any of the folks on here, but anybody that's maybe listening to this, that is thinking about ordering, heads up with that. The other thing to consider is when there is bad weather. Some folks will ship right on through. Other folks, out of a you know abundance of caution, if it is too hot or too cold, they will ask to hold your order to ship it until it's, it's safe to do so. Please don't argue that. If you're, again, if you're the type of person who's like, well, I want my order now. I don't care how cold. Or you point out like, Backwater reptiles will ship in any conditions. They'll, they'll send me a dead spider any time of the day. You want to make sure that you recognize this isn't to inconvenience you. It's to protect the spider. Have I had? I remember one where I first got into it, I didn't want them shipped. I had that one box arrive without the heat pack with a bunch of dead spiders. That made me gun, gun shy to have them shipped during the winter. I remember once ordering from a company. I think I placed my order in January. Didn't have it shipped to like late March. And it was fine. It was, it was like, do you mind if we hold it? I'm like, no, no, no. And then I actually ended up because they had other stuff that I wanted to get in. So I added to it. It worked out great. But be don't be one of those people that needs to have everything instantaneously. You've waited. Hopefully, if you're ordering, 
You've done your research. You've spent months doing research. So you've waited this long. An extra couple weeks isn't going to kill you. So when ordering them online, show patience. They're not going to, if you order on a, usually order on a Monday, it's not necessarily going to ship out Tuesday. If it's cold out or if it's super hot, that's the other thing. Super hot's almost worse. If it's super hot out and they say, hey, listen, the temperature in your area are going to be 95 degrees. We're not going to ship there. Thank them. Thank them for taking the you know the consideration, the life of the spider before sending them out. Don't give them a hard time and complain that you're not shipping your order and cancel it. Let's be reasonable about this. Let's be rational. Let's not be like the little, you know, petulant child who's not able to open up his birthday presents right away or whatever. Let's be adults about it. Recognize that it's for the sake of the spider. Patience is the virtue. In this case, you got to have patience. And then the last thing we're going to talk about is having patience when it comes to jumping into more advanced species, whether it be moisture dependent, whether it be old worlds, recognizing that there are some things that are much easier to learn with a more forgiving new world species species than an old world one. I think a lot of folks, and this isn't everybody, and it's funny because I'll, I'll talk about this more at the end of the video, but I finally finished my video on what I call the truth about old worlds, a little you know, tips and tricks on how to keep old world tarantulas, things to think about, discussing them as a whole. And I'm trying in that video to make people view them realistically, that they're not insane. They're not aggressive. They're not like these killer things that we make them out to be sometimes. But on the other hand, I do try to stress that they're not something you have to jump right into. There's no rush. They're there. So I know a lot of us see these old world species. We see some of these moisture dependent species. We want them. We see the Therophosa blondie. We really want it. And unfortunately, people that haven't done their research, don't know how to do the rehousing jet, don't have a feel for enclosure size, stuff like that, they run into problems with them. And then you get situations where it's like, I don't know what to do with my tea blondie. It's in something now. It's a festering swamp because I poured so much water into it and there's no ventilation and my blondie's looking sick. And I have had instances like that where people have said they you know, have a moisture dependent species. They show me pictures like, oh my gosh, you really overdid it. It's because they haven't learned some of the nuances yet. So I do think that one of the things we sometimes do is, and this is not everybody, it's, it depends on the individual. And I want to make this very, very clear. And this is why sometimes, you know, beginner species lists are great for some people and some people don't need them. Some folks are able to jump right in with these guys and they have a feel for it. They've had other exotics. They just have, they're intuitive when it comes to keeping animals. So they jump right in, they get the hang of it very quickly with the old worlds. Others struggle. So it all depends on the individual. So I'm not telling anybody if you think you're ready not to go into it. What I'm saying is there is no rush to make that jump into keeping the more difficult species, whether it be old worlds, moisture dependent, whatever it may be, take your time. I always encourage folks that regardless of what you do, start off with something easy, get the hang of basic rehousings first. That's where things are going to go wrong know how to rehouse, recognize the, you know, look at some, I did a whole video on rehousing where I shared all the tips and tricks that have made mine, the vast majority of my rehousings very successful and low key, not a lot of, you know, craziness going on. Take a look at that, recognize that stuff before you make that jump. Because again, although old world's aren't nearly as nasty as we like to make them out to be. At their worst, they can be pretty scary and they can be defensive and they have a nasty bite and that's something somebody doesn't want. So as always with anything, I think with any hobby, 
You should always take your time, do your research before going into it, get some experience before trying the more difficult aspects of it, and ease your way into it for your safety and, well, other hobbies, it might just be your safety. In this hobby, it's not just your safety, it's the safety of the animal. Because if you get that OBT that you've been eyeing, and all of a sudden it freaks out, runs, and you scream, and it bounces off the table, lands on the floor, and its abdomen ruptures, that's your fault. You weren't ready for it. So, Take your time getting into the other, the, the information is out there. Do your homework. Some people do it more quickly than others. Some people, they do a couple weeks. They got it down. Boom. I know what I'm doing. They get the spider. No problem. Some people, it takes longer. I've talked to people that will take a year doing research because they want it just perfect. Whatever works for you, take your time. And the, the whole topic of this podcast, be prepared to exercise some patience. This is a hobby that is super rewarding. It is a hobby that, quite frankly, I think is super easy, but it does require patience. So that will do it for our main topic. As always, if you have if you have a situation like I shared some of the things that I jumped the gun on in here or things that stressed me out that I was impatient about, feel free to chime in because, again, it's one thing to hear it from me. It's nice when other folks can go down and look at some of the comments and go, oh, okay, it's not just me. I've done the same thing. We've all done it. We've all done things that we jumped the gun on. We've all done things that showed that we were impatient in the hobby. And luckily for most of us, I think they turned out okay. But it is something to think about, and I think folks coming in the hobby need to be aware of it. Now, as far as what's going on in the rest of Tom's Big Spiders world, I did, as I mentioned earlier, finally, three over three and a half years ago, I started this, the video about Old World Tarantulas. It's basically, if you've heard the podcast, it's the same, it's almost identical to the podcast. As a matter of fact, when I did the podcast, my notes, I used the original script I had written for this, but I went through, finally finished it. Really proud of it because it was more difficult than most of the videos I do. I, there was a lot of working with different clips. I even used some stock footage. That was something I haven't done before. It was like I had spots. I'm like, oh, my editing programs offer free stock, so we'll use this. But really trying to get the point across that it, a realistic look at old world tarantulas. The fact that we in the hobby, I think, do too good of a job sometimes warning people against them. I think we need to recognize that they can have, you know, there's a potential for danger there, but not overstate that they are dangerous. I don't think they are. I think the majority of us who get into keeping them recognize that rather early on and going through basically why they're so villainized, why they shouldn't be so villainized, what we need to worry about. And then I go through and do some tips and tricks that I found help me when working with my old worlds to keep me and the spiders safe. So this is one of the ones that, and normally I don't like to pimp my own stuff, but this will be one that I will point people in its direction when the topic of old worlds comes out because I want, there's been no real big good reference from somebody that knows what they're talking about or at least somewhat what they're talking about explaining this to people. I think a lot of folks get in, they get little information here and here. This guy tells them, you don't, you can't be anywhere near old worlds until you've kept at least these species. Somebody else is like, I jumped right into it. And nobody has really laid it out and went, all right, here's a nice, I hope, reasonable level-headed look at keeping old world tarantulas what you should be concerned with what you should not be concerned with what you should be prepared for so hopefully that does well i normally don't i post videos up i don't care how they do but i really hope that this one gets out to some people and helps destigmatize these animals because i've had so many conversations with folks over the years and we giggle about it like most of us have had more trouble with new world species than we've had with our old world species. They tend to be super shy. So if you set them up correctly, you give them some room, they're going to be fine under most circumstances. So that video will be out. I may do the YouTube has the option where you can set when it debuts. I may do the thing where it has like, a, what the heck do they call it? 
a premiere, I think, where you can set when it's going to go off. And when it goes off, you can actually, I can chat with people as it goes on. So I may see if Billy's up for that because I want to do it Friday night, but we have our grandson Friday night. So I'll have to see how it goes. But I may do something like that. Well, because it'd be kind of fun. This is one that, honestly, I never thought this video would get done. So as you can probably hear, I don't usually talk this much about a video I did, but really it was... When it was finally done and edited and I have it uploaded on YouTube now, it was such just, not just relief, just it felt good to finally have this one out. And it's one that Billy kind of pushed me to do for a while because I think she sees how frustrated I get when I have comments from folks like, well, I know this species is super aggressive because blah, blah, keeper attacks him all the time when he waters it and it drives me nuts because like, no, it's not. These people that do this stuff, this clickbaity garbage where they, you know, rile the spiders up and they put them in small cages or they rile them up so you see them threat posture. It does nothing for the hobby. So that one, look for that one to be up Friday night one way or another, whether or not we do the premiere whether or not I'm chatting through it. We'll see how it goes. It'd be kind of fun, I think. I'd take out my Chromebook and sit downstairs with my wife and the grandson and do it, but we'll see how it goes. Other than that, um, I think that's about it. So again, sorry for being one day late, but hopefully it was worth the wait. Hopefully people get something out of this. That will do it for this one. As always, you can comment on Spotify now. Some folks have been commenting there. Just know Spotify has no really good way of telling you exactly which videos were commented on. So I always have to go, uh, which videos, which podcasts were commented on. So I have to go through all of them. But pod, that's a good place. Tom's Big Spiders podcast.com. You can go on there and comment on there. That'll do it for this guy, one, guys. As always, stay safe. We'll catch you all next week.